we had a forum with the Gateway Cities Innovation here in Massachusetts. And one of the questions is, well, how do we attract more choice riders? And what I say is the best way to attract so-called choice riders is make sure that you're serving your existing ridership as well as you possibly can, and they'll, they'll ride. This is Transit Unplugged. I'm Paul Comfort. Good to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged In-Depth this week with our special guest, Noah Berger, who is administrator of the Merrimack Valley Transit System in Massachusetts. Noah, thank you for being a guest today. No, thank you, Paul. And I'm always uh, impressed you have such a great radio voice. I'm always jealous because I I fear (laughs) I don't. Well, thank you. um, As you probably know, we've talked, you and I are friends. I did 16, I honed it during 16 years of uh, Comfort's Corner on a local radio station here earlier in my 20s and 30s. Hey, Noah, uh, we've done a lot together, you and I have. I'm surprised I haven't had you on the podcast up until now, but I'm glad we finally got it in here in our sixth season. You're doing some amazing things there at Merrimack Valley, but you and I have also done some great things together. One of the things we did um, is we worked on our book, uh, Conversations on Equity and Inclusion in Public Transportation, and you also have been a guest recently along with one of your employees there uh, on our safety podcast, Preventing Driver Assaults, that we put together for CTAA funded by FTA. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute, uh, as well as some awesome things. I mean, the fact that you have increased ridership 122% and you've gone fare free, man, I want to talk all about that in just a minute. But before we dive into that, tell us some, uh, first off, tell our listeners about your transit system. Right. So we uh, cover the uh, the 16 cities and towns in the Northeast corner of Massachusetts. Uh, we're the center of gravity are the gateway cities of Lawrence, Haverhill, and Methuen, uh, uh, but we we go all the way to the to the Atlantic Ocean, Salisbury, Newburyport, um, and then we have more sort of rural uh, communities that we serve with demand response in other parts of uh, the the service area. We carry about two million riders a year. It's a it's an area that really needs uh, a strong public transportation. I think what often surprises people our, our largest city lawrence is actually 83 percent latino uh people don't expect that to be a community in massachusetts they think it's got to be in florida or or, uh, or or texas but uh that's that you know we have uh, that the communities that uh in massachusetts we call them gateway cities uh because they're former mill towns that have really they've always attracted immigrants uh you know it's it's the same story with just different groups over the years the mills have recently been repurposed and they see a lot of vibrancy and, 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 and new life uh, in, in those communities. That's great. Tell us about the modes of transportation you operate there. Is it a fixed route, paratransit, micro? Tell us a little about that. Yeah. So it, it's, it's really, we have two business lines. We have the, the fixed route and the, uh, the, the demand response. You know, what we're, tr- what we're working hard to do is, is integrate them together. The, you know, the, the fixed, we have, uh, about 26 fixed route, uh, uh, buses and as well as, uh, a, the demand response service that's most, you know, not just ADA paratransit. We have some ring and rides in non-ADA communities. Um, and we're trying to simplify the the service. So, you know, we can get into that at, um, as we talk further. That's great. So do you operate your service directly or do you contract it out? We technically contract it out. It's, uh, um, it's you know, the way the law was written back in the in the 70s, it was to protect the, um, the private mom and pop operators that that were running local transit you know, before they started, uh, um, became financially unviable. We actually now, we have a subcorp that is the pretty much our operating company. I treat them like they're 
a department within within our company. Uh, technically, it's DGR management, which is um, she she's one person who who runs the PVTA in in Springfield, Massachusetts, and now us. Uh, she's she's the general manager here, and really is a is a uh, consultant that 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 helps out with our our operations staff. So it's that's turned out to be a very good relationship. It, that just we 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 contract with uh, with with her uh, just this past summer. That's wonderful. Tell us about the governance of the agency. You have a board, you have uh, and financing. Tell us how all that works. It's called an advisory board, but they have obviously they're 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 not really just advisory. Uh, it's made up of the sixteen cities and towns, uh, the chief elected official or their designee, uh, and then we have a a disability rep and a riders rep, and that's all in in statute. Uh, and it's it's a weighted vote. Then, ah, and- interesting. Which it means it's very important for Lawrence and Haverhill to 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 attend all meetings because they have the biggest populations and the biggest financial contributions, so they get a um a more of a vote. Exactly, exactly. Okay, and and it, it becomes quorum becomes a challenge when when either one of them doesn't show up. Do you have monthly meetings with the board? We have mostly monthly meetings. We skip some months. Uh, we usually don't meet July and August. We devote like. This month we devote to uh, subcommittee meetings uh, as well as April. So uh, you know, but it's mostly it's it's a qualified monthly meeting. Yeah, that's interesting. And you're for people kind of trying to get a picture in their mind where it's at. You uh, Boston is the big city people know about in Massachusetts. Are you kind of suburbs of? Bo- are they a suburb of you? Or how do you want to? Say yeah, right. <laughs> we're in many ways our our own world, but we are. Uh, you know, we're about 45 minutes, uh, depending on which town, uh, from Boston. There are definitely, you know, some bedroom communities, but some communities that really are their own, uh, yeah, you know, kind their, of their own ecosystem. Yeah. And then we're yeah. right at the New Hampshire border. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, interstate, uh, 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 travel back and Right. Do you go over state lines with your service? We do. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. So one of the things that fascinated me, uh, Noah uh, there's a number of things. I think you're one of the coolest guys in our business, uh, bringing in kind of the right and left brain approach to what we're doing here. I really appreciate your focus on the arts and on color and on, you know, music and all that with transit. Tell us about some of the great things you've been doing there. Right. I mean, I think it's, you know, what was a revelation for me is that, um, when I first started, uh, back about a year and a half ago now, and I, you know, got on the buses, I went out to community groups and I talked to people and, you know, I, I was thinking that the questions are, what do we do well and what do we do not so well and prepared for both? Um, what I wasn't as prepared for is the third option was, we don't know. You guys are relevant to us and became very clear that we were not doing a good job of being present in the community, being visible to the community. Uh, so we've been on a pretty uh, uh, robust campaign. To, to change that. And um, so the, you know, some of the things have been higher profile, some of the things have been lower profile, but, you know, you mentioned that we went fare free in, in last March, that has been a tremendous success. And we, you know, not only did we go fare free and that was on both, both uh, paratransit and, and the fixed route, we also took the fare boxes out, which I, I think sends a message. Uh, a lot of times when, you know, your transit authorities are, are sort of putting their foot in the water for going fare-free. We don't want to fully commit and keep the fare boxes up. It send a, sends a different message. I think we've, we also look, re, took a hard look at our, our roots. And what we, what we had historically tried to do is for our fixed routes in particular, tried to have them do too much. And so uh, it's, 
basically have roots that zig and zag and, and pull into every little uh, um, area and make really um, odd choice. We had inbounds that were completely different from the outbounds so that on a map, it looked like you served an area, but you really, if you couldn't get back to where you started from, uh, you really weren't serving that area. So we've been changing that, changing the routes, making them more direct, um, you know, working with the community to make sure that no one's left behind. Uh, but I think that's been, uh, you know, the, the community's appreciated that. And I think what the way I've messaged is we're, we're doing a better job of respecting our, our writer's time. And we're also making it more, more logical. We, we're going to un, unfurl a, a, another a bunch of route changes, but also with, uh, with changing the root numbers, because for reasons that no one can explain to me, our root numbers made no logical sense. We have one single digit root. Uh, then we jump into the teens, then then we jump into the 30s, and then we jump into the 50s. Um, so we're, and it's it's all makes logical sense. So we're going to, the 32 is going to become the two. The 33 is going to become the three and so on. Um, and, you know, so, and it, it also shows, so it, it makes a difference. It's like a low number license plate. It shows, if you have a low, lower number route, it shows you that that community they're important. So that's that's gonna um, uh, be rolled out in in April. Another thing is uh, we've talked about this. We we're we're currently a flag stop system, um, and we're putting out bus stops, which makes and first of all the drivers can't wait to have that happen. Um, you know the joke is we have the fifty foot express where I'm waiting here and you're waiting uh, you know a couple of feet down you know down the sidewalk and someone else yeah. and, and you know this this way the but it's also for the riders. It you you have a a less intimidating experience if you know oh there's a there's a sign for a, for a for a the bus. It'll tell me what route's stopping there. It'll tell me where it's going. Uh, so it's no longer a leap of faith to just wait on the side of the the road and hope that a bus drives. You've had an amazing increase in ridership uh, since you've gone fare free last year. I want to. I want you to, in a minute, dig into that fare free decision because that was so fascinating when you and I talked about that for the book. Uh, but tell us about how ridership has increased since you've gone fare free. It's been almost a year now. We've gone up, uh, uh, you know, almost one hundred twenty-two percent, and that's you know, which is that's understood. I think the great parallel statistic for that is that complaints have actually gone down by over a third. Interesting. Uh, so we have more riders um, and and fewer complaints, and that just takes away some of the adversarial relationship between uh, drivers and passengers. I think it's it's you know I think taking away the fare boxes made sense uh, in terms of just kind of te- tearing down that wall between between the 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 drivers and the passengers, and it makes it a more welcome ex- experience. We've paired that with other things. So so one of the things we just did this fall is as part of that whole rebranding campaign. So we're officially, we're, we're Miva, Miva Transit. Okay. Um, and that the buses, our buses literally had the same exact uh, design as mail trucks. Um, and, you know, that mail, mail trucks. Respect okay. to my friends in the postal service, yeah. but that's not really the image where we, we like want. a blue and red stripe on a white exactly. vehicle. Thin, yeah. thin blue and red. It looks it, the exact same, same thing as a mail truck. And, and so we, we had a big community process uh, and, we, you know, we had a, a sort of artistic minded uh, members of the community who like said what they wanted to see in a bus. And we have these, I love the design. I think, you know, I, and our designer who's done uh, a lot of work in transit properties, he said, she says, um, and she designed a lot of the other ones too, that this is the best one she's ever done. And it has, you know, it's coral, it's, it's, uh, it's aqua, it's, it's, it's yellow. Um, and it just, it's dynamic looking. Uh, it has little um, pays homage to, to things in the community. So 
there are ripples uh, that reflect the Merrimack River. Um, one of the things that that you know, it just in looking at all of our our, our old mill buildings, we have we have clocks on every building here. Um, there's 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 old old clock towers somehow make it everywhere. Yeah. So we have these abstracted clocks, you know, not too much to beat you over the head with it, but just enough to have a hint of of the area. And then other things that I think are are really important, particularly for the the areas we serve. At the top of our bus says "Let's go," and then it says "Vamos." And you know what? That's a, a welcoming statement to you know the linguistically and, and culturally rich communities we travel through. And I think, Paul, in our industry, we've gotten very good at translating into Spanish all the things that you're not allowed to do. You know, don't stand in front of the yellow line. Uh, don't no radio playing, no eating, no drinking. Uh, don't talk to the operator. But what we haven't had is that affirmative statement in Spanish translated. So it provides that welcoming, you know, we're, we're messaging to the community, you're all welcome on board. Um, and then the other thing is that, you know, we're certainly not the first to do this, but, you know, from the disability community, uh, rather than having the, the standard static uh, disability emblem, uh, we have the, the, the wheelchair looking on the go, you know, lean forward and letting, letting folks know that people with disabilities, uh, who is, you know, almost a fifth of our population, people with disabilities have places to go to. Uh, so I think all that has been very, uh, welcoming. Um, and we wrap the vans too, our, 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 our demand response vans so that it helps show that we're, we're one family of services, not two very distinct, uh, uh, modes. And that's, that's brought the vans into the realm of, of the services we provide in ways that people weren't fully aware. That's really good, Noah. Um, in, in uh, what we'll do is we'll post some pictures of your vehicles yeah. on our website, transitunplugged.com, uh, with your uh, episode. So that'll be fun. Hey, listen, we're going to take a quick break now for a word from Mike Bismeyer on leadership, kindness, and mentorship. And when we come back, Noah, I'm going to be talking to you about uh, the pianos that you've put out throughout your system. And I also want to dive into the decision-making process you went through with your board to go to Zero Fare. That's next after this word from Mike Bismeyer on Transit Unplugged. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Transit and Kindness Advocate, and this is Mike's Minute, where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness with the hopes it'll inspire you to pay it forward. Today's guest, Noah Berger, is yet another leader in transit that encompasses all these attributes. Notwithstanding the everyday business of moving people, many of the leaders in our industry continue to do much more. It is evident when you see the attendance at all the APTA and CUTA conferences, like the legislative this week and others throughout the year. Great minds meeting together and advocating for funding, change, and the advancement of transportation for all. Being in my 15th year of transit, I'm always grateful for those going above and beyond. Many of our industry leaders tirelessly tell the story of transit, and many appearing right here on this podcast, sharing what their agency does, what still needs to be done, and ideas to continue to enhance the service. There are both intentional and unintentional mentors in our industry. Again, many great leaders taking time to help prepare the leaders of the future, and many others simply doing great things every day that those working alongside are inspired to emulate. One of the comments that Noah made today truly resonated with me from all aspects, leadership, mentorship, and kindness. It was capturing that very essence of what transportationism provides. His comment was as follows, working with the community to make sure no one is left behind. That is kindness at its core, and it inspires me to continue to want to be part of the continuing change in our industry. It's also one of those tidbits from today, along with his aim to be further connected to the community pulse that I'm sure many will want to emulate and add to their personal toolbox. 
And speaking about going above and beyond, please don't forget that this coming March 18th is Transit Operator Appreciation Day. Please make sure to thank one of the operators, maybe a random act of kindness. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Kindness is cool. We're back for part two of our interview with Noah Berger, who is administrator of the Merrimack Valley Transit System in Massachusetts. And uh, just before the break, Noah, you were telling me about um, the change in the color scheme and the design on your vehicles, which is awesome. But you've done some other really neat things when it comes to visual uh, and arts, uh, music. Tell us about the pianos you have. Of course, you know, I play piano. I can't wait to get up there one day and and play some. No, that that is that is awesome. And, and um, you know, one of so. You know, this was this is happenstance that that actually just fell into place last year. That there was a, a public art uh, show that in you know another community that where the artists came in painted pianos and it was you know ran only in the summer and then they were looking for homes for the pianos uh, afterwards. And so I said, sure, we'll take them. And we actually put them in uh, the McGovern Transportation Center, which is also the the Lawrence train station for the commuter rail run by the MBTA. Uh, we serve it with with a couple buses now, although our plan is to really activate that space and make that our central hub, which is, uh, you know, another project we're involved in. But that since then, that same uh, uh, arts organization did another uh, show this past summer where they painted be- benches. So they were actually old church pews. And uh, they we ended up getting one of them that just happened to have a train on it. And when the uh, when they found out that we were the, um, the going to be the recipient, they painted uh, Miva on uh, as the insignia for the, the the train in our in our logo. So I thought that was another touches add that um, whimsy that that joy to to the space. Where you know other things we're doing there is we um, we had a, a a former cafe that had been had been vacant for the the last you know ten years, and you know we used it to store toilet paper and and, and detergent. Uh, what we ended up doing is is saying, okay, it's challenging to um to to put out an RFP, get the highest bidder. Then you know there's always issues there, and you don't you, you have no con- limited control over what's what's shown there. So instead, what we did is um we made it a incubator space. We're actually sort of renovating it right now. We're bringing in this local uh, artist uh, who's a, she's actually a natural nail artist and she's going to put her space in there. And then, you know, it'll be over time. We'll rotate that and give other, you know, small businesses an opportunity to, to, to open up their first brick and mortar uh, space, another opportunity to activate the space. And um, our goal is to, to relocate our, uh, uh, the downtown hub we have in Lawrence that we don't, own it's owned by the city and it's it's really we've outgrown it to this multimodal center that uh that would be that would be a vibrant center for the community awesome i love all that i love making you know you're weaving yourself more into the fabric of the community yes very much so that's great now let's dive in for a few minutes on uh zero fares so you made a decision along with your board to go zero fare uh, in March, and you're back up to over 90% of your pre-pandemic ridership. One of the one of the uh, only or few transit systems I'm aware of that have done that. Um, tell us about the decision process and the rationale for going zero fare. Right, and and I think you know, Paul, you you've been out front with a, a lot of uh, campaigns for transit authorities to go, go fare free, and um, so you know we. We highlighted those examples. I think it helped that, um, you know, 
not particularly radical communities, you know, Kansas City, uh, <laughs> Albuquerque, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, so it's not like it's it's this crazy, uh, um, crazy idea that doesn't make any fiscal sense. So we highlighted that we while we focused on some of the social benefits and that, you know, transit is a public good that we want people to use. We should do everything we can to do it. But I also focused, you know, for my board is very interested in, you know, is it this is it sustainable? Is it is does it make fiscal sense? Uh, so we ran the numbers and, you know, I think we very rarely look at the fully allocated cost of collecting fares. You know, so if you count everything that goes into fare collection and, you know, we've had a long tortured history with the money room here, you have to hire the armored car, you know, the, you know, all the things that go into it really 23.9 cents was all we saw for every dollar that we collected in the fare. It's the tail wag on the dog in some respects. Right? Absolutely. And it's and and I think, you know, it, it's a very inefficient way to generate revenue. So what we did is and so it was it ended up being a unanimous vote of the board. And, you know, we brought in experts to 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 show what are the pros and cons, what are the, the what is the long term implications? Uh and the reality too, and um, you know, Paul, this is just between you and me and, and maybe <laughs> a few of your listeners, <laughs> yeah. but you know, I'm making I'm admittedly making a bet here. Um, and, you know, like many of my peers, I have a very, a strong, but limited supply of COVID relief money, the, the CARES funds, the ARPA funds. And, you know, when we look at our budget, we have what the, you know, the, the fiscal people like to call a, um, a, a, a structural deficit, which means you're not in deficit now, but if things keep going as they're going, you will be. But the reality is, whether we were collecting fares, whether or not we were collecting fares, uh, if we were running just a bare bones system, um, we'd still have to come and find a new way to generate revenue within a couple of years anyway. So I'm making the bet uh, that if I put the best possible service on the road, make it as attractive to, to riders to, to get on board as I possibly can, it's going to be a lot easier for me to to make that ask for 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 the funding in in, in two years, then if I'm running running that that mediocre service that that maybe costs a little bit more, but still is going to need more money. So that's the bet I make. Um, and you know we're we're going to work our our legislative delegation very hard. We actually have a meeting coming up uh, um, next week with our the the whole Merrimack Valley delegation and just make sure we're on the radar screen. Make sure that there's an understanding of how the funds flow. Uh, and you know, we've ha got tremendous support from, from the delegation. We have a lot of new members this, uh, this, this cycle. So just want to make sure that we get in early. That's interesting. And, um, what has been the reception in the community? Would you say to go into what, you know, you call it free, free fare. I've heard a lot of people tell me, oh, don't call it free. Cause somebody has to pay. You've got to use zero fare, but they're interchangeable in yeah. some respects. But what's been the, uh, response from the community? No, I mean, the, the community has been, you know, needless to say, loves it. I think the What's interesting is that, you know, people only assume it's it's people, you know, in, in the worst financial situations who benefit. But it turns out that that, you know, every you know, we're all kind of cheap. So, you know, people will will try a, a service without the intimidation of having to to figure out how to pay the fare or have to worry about it. It just it brings it brings more people onto the system than than otherwise would would ride it. I know you know, one of the questions um we had a forum with the uh, the Gateway Cities Innovation here in in Massachusetts, and you know one of the questions is, well, how do we how do we attract more, more choice riders? And you know I'm always kind of ambivalent about that term because it sounds sometimes like a choice cut of beef, but the reality is 
And what I say is the best way to attract so-called choice riders is make sure that you're serving your existing ridership as well as you possibly can. And they'll, they'll ride. You know, the example is when, um, you know, when we made our vehicles more accessible, that's obviously great for people with disabilities. It's also great for, for parents pushing strollers. It's great for, for people with shopping carts. It's, it's great for someone who has a bum knee that, uh, that, you know, wouldn't want to ride a lift, but, uh, but a lot easier to, to, to take that one step than, than, than to climb all the way up, up, up the well. So, you know, a lot of things like that, you, you, you reach a greater, um, uh, you know, a greater audience, uh, uh, by, by taking care of everyone. That's great. In our book, uh, that you and I wrote together along with, uh, 20 other top CEOs yeah. around the world called, um, conversations on equity and inclusion in public transportation. Um, you, in your chapter, man, you go really deep. So if our listeners are interested in a little bit more about the process, because we recorded that while you were in the middle of the process, I think of, of getting it approved and, and there's page after page after page of a real in-depth description. Yeah, no. And, and, and I, I really appreciate the, uh, that, that we, you know, you, you started that book now over a year ago. Um, cause as you know, when the stuff we were talking about, you know, a lot of it here was was theoretical, and we were t- talking about stuff that we were looking forward to uh, to implementing. And now that we've done, you know, obviously the free fares, but uh, you know the the rebranding and the the, the route optimization and, and um, things, those are now in place. So it's great to see that 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 mark in time that we can compare to. I have to say too that uh, um, you know you mentioned that you put it you put it in a very charitable way, and I appreciate that. I read uh, um, Jared Walker's review of your book. Yes, and uh, I love the backhanded compliment he gave gave to to our chapter because that uh, he said that you know the the challenge of of talking to uh, uh, transit CEOs is they're you know they're very good at staying on script. They're very very good at messaging, and so you know may not may not expose uh, you know the messy details of of policy. So the funny fun example is is uh, Noah Berger and the the Merrimack yes. Valley. And the backhanded compliment he's saying you know. No, don't quit your J job and think you could run for politics because uh, you wouldn't survive in politics. You're not supposed to say these things out loud. Right. You were yeah. very granular and detailed, and you're right. Yeah, but that's the, that open transparency. I think is what people loved about your chapter. And I got to tell you, Noah, the book went, as you know, to number one on Amazon for mass transit books and stayed there for six weeks. It's the best selling book I've ever put out. And it's largely because I've heard a ton of people tell me your chapter is one of the highlights. So thank you for that. No, that was, um, that was... In our last couple of minutes, Noah, you've got a great background for finally running your running a transit system. Tell us a little about you know your background in transit and working for government, et cetera. Right. No, it's it's been a, a meandering path. Um, I you know transit is something I've always appreciated, and um, you know I grew up in New York City, uh, you know, and and rode it all the time, fascinated by it, uh, and you know. Took me a little while to figure out you could do it for a living, um, but you know, I spent about 15 years for the the Federal Transit Administration. Uh, so I, you know, seen both sides. I've worked in advocacy organizations and and as well as with other transit properties. So it was uh, certainly a, things I've been thinking about for a good long time. Um, but also, it's important to you know every. You know, all all transit operations. You know, we're all like snowflakes. We're a little bit different, and you know, it's important to figure out. What the what the unique attributes of your system are, what the what the needs are, before you start doing some sort of cookie cutter changes that that may work in one area but not work in in, in yours. That's good. So so tell us though about your career, the positions you were in, and before this. Okay, well, um, and you know some of it includes uh, vending at Yankee Stadium. 
Um, I did have a stint where I, I worked for, for, for the mob, albeit it was, it was a concession stand at the Miller concerts on the pier. Um, but you uh, have to tell about it. Yeah. It's a, but I, as I can say, I can work for anyone. Cause I, you know, I, I worked for John Gotti. I worked for George Steinbrenner. So, you know, everything else is a piece <laughs> of cake since then. Um, but yeah, so I, um, I've worked actually at, at homeless shelters. I worked for a, a community action program in, in, in Vermont. And I worked for a uh, the an obscure agency in Boston that has some oversight over the the MBTA before spending uh, you know, fifteen years for for the federal government at FTA, uh, you know, which is a very different perspective on on transit. I think when I started, it was um you know you you it was drilled into you that you're you you are not a, a transit advocates, you're program advocates, and I never quite let go of the transit advocacy side. So. Um, but it was, you know, great experience to to really understand how funding flows and how it's prioritized. From there, I I, I did some some stints just at, at various transit properties before before landing uh, the, this job running uh, the the Mag Valley system, which uh, is a terrific system, and I have a you know a fabulous team that's that's uh, that's with me every step of the way. That that you know, if if they weren't there, obviously I I wouldn't be able to to have uh, done any of this. Well, congratulations on the work you've already done in, in, you know, under two years, you've, you've really, um, made some dramatic improvements, I think, and some changes in the system and, uh, you know, be careful because change agents I have found <laughs> have a ticking time bomb on our back, metaphorically speaking. No, I, I appreciate that. And I, I think, you know, the great line uh, that I heard is that everybody loves change and everybody hates change. And both of those are true. Um, yeah. and I have to say, you know, I, I I think another sort of change that's kind of under the radar screen, but it's important, is um, it's not just the riders you have to take care of. You have to take care of your own people. Um, and so one of the things that I'm most proud of is that we are one of the few transit agencies that been able to grow our, our workforce rather than see it shrink in the driver shortage. We're, we're up um, almost 12% our drivers, which is, you know, a lot of the stuff we're talking about, we, you know, we increased frequency in, in Lawrence in, um, uh, back in September, we couldn't have done that without the, the bodies behind the wheel. And a lot of that is, you know, working, making sure you're, you're, you're showing the drivers that, that they're important. We added a massage chair in the, uh, in the, the driver's lounge. We painted the driver's lounge. We, um, we added a, a high-end coffee machine that you can get like, um, fancy Italian coffees that I've never heard of before. Um, but <laughs> I have to great. tell you, I have to tell you that the, the number one seller in the coffee machine yeah. is the hot chocolate. And now that, that was started in the summer. So it's, it's, it's wow. only going to get, get, get more so. But, you know, I think that's, that sends the message. Um, you know, they see me, I walk through there, I, I ride the buses, I talk to them. It's, it's no longer confused. Oh my God, what did I do? Why is the administrator on my bus? Now it's an oh, opportunity yeah. to talk and you'll hear the stuff that often doesn't get, um, does, doesn't surface uh, that, you know, that they know we put together a, uh, um, initially it was going to be a good ideas group. And I, my, my human resources director changed it to the great ideas group, which is even better, but we have drivers and mechanics and, 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 uh, reservationists all sit around saying, here, here are things we'd like to see change. So the, I'm told that the morale here is, is, is off the charts and, and, you know, that in a good way, in a, in a, in a great way. And, <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. think, you know, I know that, um, uh, when, you know, the, when Tracy Jones, who who designed that, the, she came out here for a, you know, just to to see the final products and said, you know, she's been to a number of transit properties and you know she's never seen a, a place where people are 
as happy to be there as they are here, which I, that, you know, that's, that makes me feel good. And, and we can, you know, without the drivers, Noah. we wouldn't be able to, and that sends the right message to the passengers. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that your commitment to not just your passenger customers, but also your employee customers, so to speak, as an agency is commendable. And it's shown by the fact that you've, you're one of the, uh, you know, you're a unicorn. You're, st- you're standing out in the, in the industry as somebody who actually is increasing the number of drivers so that you can do the things you want to do. I was recently in London talking with the head of the Irish National Transportation Authority, and I was in Denver uh, talking to folks there. And both of them have great new plans to reboot their routes. They don't have enough operators to make it happen. So um, I think in addition to increased wages and benefits, there are a lot of other things like you talked about that we can do to um, improve the operating environment for them. And I, to be honest with you, I think reducing potential flashpoints of conflict, like at the fare box, um, may, may have something to do with it too. Absolutely, and and I think you know recognizing that you know we draw our our workforce from the same community we draw our ridership from, and you know that's you know and for us in particular, it's um uh, we have a significant Spanish speaking uh, uh, workforce. One of the things we did, and I think we talked about this a year ago. This is. Uh, at the time we we just uh, just rolled it out, but you know we used to have in our application must be fluent in English, and we took that out, and that was advice on one of the community groups. I mean, first of all, it turns out that we're all terrible at 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 self-reporting our own fluency. Um, you know, it's and and it turns out it broke down along gender lines too. That women are much more self-critical than you know men always think they're doing it right. So you ended up taking people out of out of off the table. That that might have been a great bus driver. Probably would be an even better bus driver because you need that ability to be self-critical and be sensitive. That that uh, you don't have, and and it's also if eighty-three percent of our largest city is is Spanish speaking, why why are we putting ourselves already at a disadvantage? So that's been terrific, actually. Of our uh, uh, our new drivers, sef- uh, almost seventy-four percent are minorities, um, and 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 over thirty percent are women, which wasn't the case before. So. By thinking of your right, your your workforce as the same as being being part and parcel with the community, I think that helps. What an innovative approach, but it's it should be right there in front of us, right? Mm-hmm. Observing the obvious and then implementing it as policy. Amazing. Noah Berger, thank you so much for being our guest today on Transit Unplugged. I know our listeners around the world in over 100 countries are fascinated, will be fascinated by the things you've talked about today. We've hit so many hot topics. We wish you the very best as you continue to innovate and drive improvements for the passengers and the employees of your transit system. All right. Thanks, Paul. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged In-Depth with our special guest, Noah Berger of the Merrimack Valley Regional Transit Authority. Now, Noah will also be talking about zero fares and a special debate during the Executive Summit at Think Transit. And there's still time to register for Think Transit and the Executive Summit. Just visit trapezegroup.com slash thinktransit for all the information you need to register for either event. The Executive Summit is only $149 and gives you access to all of Think Transit. Coming up next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we have Kurt Conrad of Stark and Sherry Burgess of the Utah Transit Authority. And don't forget to visit transitunplugged.com sign up for the newsletter so you're always in the loop with what's going in, on in the show. But if you would like to email us, you can do so at info at transitunplugged.com. Until next week, ride safe and ride happy. We 
hope you're enjoying this episode of Transit Unplugged, the podcast. How would you like to see behind-the-scenes footage of the agencies that Paul visits? Then be sure to check out Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube, where transit evangelist Paul Comfort dives into the culture, the food, and the transit of major cities around the world. You'll see the operations control centers, how maintenance shops work, and the latest innovations taking place at agencies around the globe as we work together to improve the lives of our transit riders and our communities. Be sure to subscribe to Transit Unplugged TV on YouTube or at transitunplugged.com.